Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hallowed Ground. My name is Seth, he's Jeff, that's Eric, and we have Luscious Jackson in the house, and it's not one person, that's actually a band. That's actually a band. Uh, Jill Kniff is going to be joining us, bass player, songwriter, lead singer. She's a lifelong New Yorker, born and raised, lives in Brooklyn, um, you know, has this thriving art career going right now. So if you look at her website or follow her on Instagram, her art just screams New York City. So personally, I'm excited to talk a little bit more with her about that. Obviously, I want to learn more about her Luscious Jackson heyday. You know, there was such a, such a unique and eclectic sound. At one point, they were tagged the Beastie Girls because they came up with the Beastie Boys, were signing their label. Their drummer was a founding member of the band and played uh, drums with the Beasties when they were more of a hardcore punk type of band before they found their hip hop sound. So uh, I, I'm just excited. I'm excited to talk to her and, and really dig into their career. Yeah, I mean, if you think about early Beastie Boys, 86, License to Ill, you know, I think what you'll find in, in her story is they were there at the beginning when the Beasties were, were trying to get their sound. I don't know if you find a lot of their music kind of trans, transitions over to there, um, but, you know, they were alt-rock pioneers, uh, still sometimes together, sometimes making music, sometimes doing shows, uh, but it'd be great to talk to her. And I can bet that Seth has a sports question in his head he wants to ask her. Well, I want to know how they came up with the name Luscious Jackson, <laughs> and did they avoid Tito and Marlon for just this reason? <laughs> Let's take a closer look at Luscious Jackson. While the Seattle scene was waiting to be birthed, a different vibe was going on across the country. The New York City music scene was alive as 70s and 80s glam and rock faded and hip-hop emerged. Few artists were as instrumental to bringing attention to the sound as the Beastie Boys, who blasted onto the scene with 1986's License to Ill. While they would serve as an inspiration to millions, it may have been the people in their inner circle that benefited the most. Jill Kniff and Gabby Glazer formed the band Luscious Jackson in 1991 with Vivian Trimble and Kate Schellenbach. Inspired by the music flowing from the New York clubs that they shouldn't have been in, Luscious Jackson blended alt-rock and rap in a sound we hadn't experienced before. Signed to the Beastie's Grand Royal label, the quartet released one EP, three full-length LPs, and ten singles for the company. Their hit song, Naked Eye, peaked at number 24 on the Billboard Top 40 Mainstream Chart and number 33 on the Adult Top 40 Chart. With my naked eye, I saw if I said it all. After initially breaking up in 2000, the band reunited to record some children's albums and for a limited number of live performances. The Hallowed Ground is pleased to welcome, from Luscious Jackson, Jill Kniff. So, uh, Jill, thank you for uh, joining us today. So, I, you know, the three of us on the call, um, from... Uh, from our perspective, we're all 80s, 90s uh, alt-rock bands. And the three of us actually all grew up in either Long Island suburbs or Westchester area. Um, I, I had parents from both Brooklyn and the Bronx. And 
Now, while, you know, going to the city wasn't out of reach for me, it wasn't a place we went to that often. So, you know, in your music and now in your art, I think you, you know, I've read it, you, you kind of take your inspiration from what you saw in New York uh, in the 80s and, and probably early 90s. So is that something that you, you're taking over to your art now? Yes, that's a great question. Um, I've been working on a new show for the last, well, it got extended, you know, it was supposed to be in 2020. So the pandemic like just pushed it a couple of years, <laughs> just a brief couple of years down the line. So I think 2022, um, and the, the theme was gonna be New York City. And um, so now I'm, I'm looking at this last year, how do I incorporate that? Do I incorporate that? You know, the city's changed. I think it needs um, a new vision, but yes, New York has always been an inspiration. The, the amount of people there from all different parts of the world, the different cultures, the different music, just jam together. And, you know, I've traveled a lot and there's some cities that you see the same type of mixture like London, um, Paris, you know, but it's definitely got its own vibe. It's, it's a special place. And, you know, I still live here. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, my kids grew up here. So, you know, that's one of the things I'm looking at and incorporating into the artwork. And yes, it's, you know, pieces of collage, pieces of flyers, um, ideas, stories. So kind of getting that incorporated into paintings that you hang on your wall, you know, and the idea is you can stand back, you might not see it, the stories, but then you get in there and you go, oh my God, she's writing about Avenue B or this night out. You know, that's the kind of idea right now. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned Brooklyn because, you know, I when I was in my career, uh, that was the go-between between New Jersey and the city. And so I lived there for a couple of years as an adult. And what I was being told back then was that the community is the best part about Brooklyn. But in the tw in the 15 years since, what you've seen is the overpopulation in Manhattan and the skyrocketing prices in Manhattan, that Brooklyn has expanded and expanded and expanded and expanded. To that end, does it still have that community feel? Well, every neighborhood is different. And I would say yes. And the reason I say yes is, um, you know, from an urban studies perspective, you've got little smaller towns within a big city. So I grew up in Greenwich Village and, you know, it was like a small town in a big city. So we you know, went to the public school and the community school and you knew all these people in your area. You went to the park, you knew all the same people. So it, it had that feel. And, you know, Brooklyn, when I moved here in like 2003, I really felt that same vibe that New York had had sort of in the 80s, 90s growing up, 70s, 80s, 90s. So the smaller stores, the small businesses, no banks, um, you know, basically New York has become overrun by banks and, and like drugstores, New York City. So if you're in the main right now, post pandemic, it's going to be a little different. But I'll say leading up to the pandemic, everything was very commercialized. So we lost a lot of the small businesses that had really made New York special. So now post pandemic, we're hoping, ah, let's lower some rents, commercial rents. Let's lower some general rents. Let's let some people open some small businesses. Um, I'd love to see more bookstores, more of the old music stores we used to have. So, you know, we're kind of hoping that we see a resurgence of that, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we're hoping that as well. You know, I guess growing up in New York City in the 80s, you know, that must have been such an epicenter for experimental art between art, and music and so many different things going on, especially being in the village. 
So, yes, and, and, yes. and I think looking at your art, looking at album covers, listening to your music, New York City just, it's, it's such a, a big slice of that. It really, it, it, you can really see the inspiration coming out of it. Ah, uh, yes, I, I, it's the whole, you know, it is sort of the basis of it. Um, so the sounds we were using were things that, you know, as you would walk through the city, you'd hear this radio playing, you'd hear this music playing, someone's playing on the street. But I think we really tried to capture that in our music. Um, so yes, that's why there's so many influences in the music. It's all very genuine. It's not, you know, it's not like coming from an outsider perspective. We really felt that stuff. Um, and especially, you know, as little sort of kids in the seventies, sort of grade school age, the music was really, we were listening to top 40, but the top 40 was really good. So that's in there, like the, the soul and disco elements and the pop songwriting and the, what do you mean? It's you know, not the golden era of top 40 now. No, <laughs> no. I just had to lob. I had to lob that right there. We're just, we're just old gen X people. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> So when you guys broke on the scene in the early 90s, you know, you came here with such an eclectic sound. Your debut EP was was very groove oriented music, um, you know, all this very like hip hop dance music underneath everything. You're you really part of a different type of music scene. Beastie Boys, yes, Tribe, De yes. Soul. You know, how did you guys really find that path to, to sampling? And I, I feel like you blended so many different things together. It was quite amazing. Well, you know, the whole 80s thing was we went from, I mean, basically we were at an age where we caught the back end of we, I mean, my group of friends, including Beastie Boys, other members of our band, Luscious Jackson, and tons of other friends. Like we were just young kids in the village and we kind of caught the back end of the CBGB's sort of punk and post-punk stuff, right? And then, so that would be like Blondie, Patti Smith, all that. And even though we didn't actually see them play live, the, the feeling was still there. So like we could hit Max's Kansas City, which was like a big sort of 60s Warhol hangout. But by the late 70s, early 80s, it had turned into like a punk venue, like Bad Brain, Stimulators, that stuff. So we caught that and it sort of transitioned into hip hop by like 82, 83. The, the form of music we were all listening to was dance music, you know, hip hop and dance music. So there was bands like ESG who were this great band from the Bronx Three Sisters. Um, so they made their song Moody, which was like hugely influential for us and uh, very stripped down minimal funk music. So that stuff just became the predominant like music. So we were going to the Roxy, we were going to the grill. They had brought hip hop downtown. So from the Bronx, all these DJs came down and break dancers and it was it was just an incredible time to sort of be there that maybe that four year chunk of time, like 80 through 84. We just saw this incredible amount of music. Um, and since we were just going out all the time, every weekend we were out all night, we caught we just caught a wave of like, an infusion of really good music. And um, so that's how it started. You know, so then we when we went our separate ways, the Beastie Boys got really famous. We went to college or worked i'm talking about gabby myself and kate um so we were friends from that early mm -hmm. those early days and then we post college or maybe when we were about 22 we decided to to try again you know we'd all done music nothing came of anything nothing commercial i should say um so kate was in the beastie boys our drummer she was kicked out or left and 
went to college. I did the same. Yeah, so basically we made over, that was glossed over right there. <laughs> well, she, it's in the Beastie Boys movie if you watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know? I know. And uh, she she didn't want to rap, you know, and they didn't want a female rapper. And it was a tough time for, you know, her. And she, it was a, a huge transition. Let's just say that from like little punk rockers and their little scrappy well bands said. and indie labels to mainstream. I think that the the weirdest part was going from like the CBGBs, which is super grubby, to Danceteria, which was a venue full of, of like dance music and business people who were in the music industry and just seeing this something transition. And, you know, there was Madonna dancing, there was Beastie Boys coming up, you know, all these famous people sort of around. And they were not just around, they were connected right into the corporate music industry. So we saw these people just like get huge. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of just left it, you know, all of us. So when we were done with college, we made a demo, gave it, sent it to our friends who were still regrouping themselves, you know, Adam, the, the Beastie Boys, and they, they liked it and decided to start a record label with it called Grand Royal. So, you know, it was, it was us making our own demo, passing it on, um, and then it grew from there. So and, and it grew pretty fast from that, right? Like, you know, natural yeah, ingredients yeah. came out in '94. Then suddenly, what? You're playing arenas. You're opening up for the Breeders, Beastie Boys, touring Europe with them. You're oh, on tour with REM. You know, that must yep, have been a yep, pretty yep. unbelievable experience. It was. I mean, you know, in a way, opening for people is never as good as your own show. So right. that is that was fun because it was like, oh my god, look at all these people, and you know, REM are really cool. And, you know, it's just, you're, you're like making people see you for the first time, essentially. Yeah, yeah you're, you're getting in front of such people. a range, such a range a of range of people. Right? Yeah. I mean, opening is always the way you break bands. That was traditionally. Um, so I don't know if it still is, but, you know, now it's more things online, probably yeah. combined. But they're still doing it. If you look, they're, they're always bringing out new artists. And that new artist generally has success. If you're in the big music industry, um, I see it still happening if taylor swift brings somebody out that person next year is really big you know mm -hmm. etc yep so you they're know, still doing it you know music was so it was really progressing at that time and you guys you guys rode that wave you jumped on that wave and just took it and helped propel this really new sound um, yeah I, how, how was it like was it tough to adapt to that situation for you guys or did you kind of just kind I of felt take like it we all were in. fine. Yeah, we were yeah. fine. You know, we'd already been through the, I felt like I was in the music business since I was like 13 because I had fanzines and we were hanging out with adults a lot. Like we had um, store owners and journalists were all, you know, if you hung out in front of CBGBs in the early eighties, no matter what age you were, you were just chatting with people. So the people we were chatting with were adults and, you know, music musicians managers you know I, I i mean i felt like i was a pretty sophisticated person already by that age 15 16 um and it, you know as the 80s progressed and sonic youth were sort of the center of that they were always hanging around in the front of cbg was talking to everyone and so you know by the time it came our turn we already had sort of interfaced with people and and we knew how to do interviews and we knew the media and you know so it was fine it was it was it wasn't a problem. By the way, my wife calls seeing uh, you with REM in '95 the best double bill that she has ever seen. So Aww, you can take that nice. as a take that for what it is. So you know, when you're as an artist now, do you do you look 
do you think your your style has has changed over the years? You still find yourself, you know, you, it sounds like you have a lot of the same themes, but have you matured as a, you know, as a painter or the art, the collage work that you're doing now, or is it still a lot of reminiscent of what you were doing back then? Um, I think I've gotten better as a physical artist um, because I look, you know, just older to get like the textures of paint in terms of I, I want washes and I don't want thick, realistic paint. I want it to be very, um, abstract and washed out and like loose so that was something I, I was actually an art student so that was something that I worked on when in you know my college days and I was I really wanted to be a, a painter sort of around college age and I also played music so the music was the one that took off um, but I studied I actually studied more art so visual arts and uh, so I see I've improved in terms of my technique but I would say I did use collage. I take a lot from that New York era and Jean-Michel Basquiat and sort of that type of art. Um, you know, we watch graffiti art come in. So I'd say I take colors from that. So I think that's all in there, um, mm. but I've put it into, I'm finally like proud of the paintings. And I felt like when before I was always like, this is something not right about these, they're not quite there. Um, and then when I started doing it again, a few years ago, I felt satisfied with it. So I feel like I grew even though I wasn't doing it for all those years, I, I, I think I became a better artist during that time. Were there other, um, you know, musicians in that kind of same era that, you know, were also doing different types of art uh, that you kind of connected with or ones that you're still in touch with that are, that are in the, in the, you know, the um, art community? Not exactly. Like I just, am an absorber. I'm a sponge. So I wouldn't say like, I'd say Jean-Michel Basquiat was like the main influence for me. Um, and also mid-century art that I went to see, you know, with my parents at museums and I was always in museums and galleries, and conceptual art less so, but some of the text art, some of the fluxus movement, you know, my, my, my fanzine co-creator, Robin Moore, we had a fanzine called Decline of Art and her parents were in fluxus, which was this sort of conceptual and text-based fanzine-based art movement and performance art sort of in the 60s so we got to use uh, her dad's dark room Peter Moore who's documented all of it so we had this like the the fanzine had a really cool visual look and attitude um, so I think that stuff was really influential just the the text and magazine art and I did a lot of stuff with um, copy machines when I was doing my art at college you know text and ripping up copy machines and weird not I don't know if you remember the what was that crazy magazine the news of the world I don't know if you remember that thing it was oh, like yeah. alien was... yeah so I would I don't think that still exists um unfortunately <laughs> neither do copy machines but yeah <laughs> well I actually have one and it's something you know it's like a printer yeah, yeah. Co slash copier <laughs> yep yeah. so I can still get to <laughs> Some of that fanzine quality, you know, and some of the stuff. Um, but I love copy machines. I love how they degrade the yep. um, the imagery. Imagery. So yeah, I think that stuff that the fluxus and fanzine art um, and graffiti art. New York City walls is a big influence. The way walls, like you know, all the the flyers start peeling and you see layers, like all of that stuff. Fascinating. So it seemed like as a kid growing up in New York City, you know, you were. It, like torn between art and music you know you you'd 
paint your, you know, you'd paint on a canvas and then you'd be listening to what have you when the paint's drying. Like you really, I felt like I've read that you've done a lot of both, right? Yes. And, and, um, you know, I wanted to go to this school Cooper union Mm -hmm. and I didn't get in, which is an art school here. Um, and I was crushed and the lady told me just come and try again next year, but I didn't, I actually went to Hunter college in the city and studied art. It was really good. Um, the great Hunter college. Yeah, I know. And I, my daughter goes there now. It's a city school and it's my dad went there. Really? It's a special place and it's got so many people in it that are so cool. And, you know, anyway, that was cool. Then I went to Berkeley in California, transferred and that school had really good, um, visiting artists so yeah anyway I did want to be an artist and I that was my dream I loved it I did it all the time but I was a huge music fan and I also played guitar and wrote songs Mm -hmm. I I had a lot of energy let's just say that so it was (laughs) just like constantly doing stuff constantly making stuff yeah and you know I still my mom saved a lot of my art which I'm trying to deal with now (laughs) 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 so yeah uh art storage always an issue so, you know, we're, we're, you know, I have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of visual stuff in my archive and, you know, that's part of what I was always doing. So for sure. So, so what do you have planned? Do you have another show coming up um, now that yeah, you know, the I, pandemic's hopefully somewhat behind us? Things are opening up a little bit more. I, I think I'm, I'm looking at spring 2022. Mm-hmm. And the show I did was with, um, I have a, a manager who does art stuff also and, Basically, what we did was rent a space in Lower East Side, East Village area, and we did a four-day show starting. So it's like Thursday through Sunday, which is his way he does it. Um, and then you do a big party. You do. We did a concert actually, like an acoustic concert, and myself and a, my friend Layla Adu. So we just two-person sort of stripped down, maybe thirty-minute concert with a Q and A. And then people hung out and we just, you know, we sold a bunch of paintings. Um, and then I put the rest online and all of those were sold. And so now I've got a bunch of work that I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to have the big paintings for the show. And right now I'm about to release small paintings that are be about a hundred dollars each small, like watercolor paintings. And those will be going up. You know, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to be airing, but I'll try to connect it in. So we, um, can put, we can put the link to it to in the show. Right. Notes. And then, you know, I'm going to release them. And I, I, I am writing new music, which came about surprisingly because I haven't been writing music. And, you know, we can get into a discussion of that. But basically, the music industry is, is very difficult and not just to be to make money, but just to deal with at all. And, you know, basically, we had a, a Luscious Jackson release in 2013 and we did a music pledge music drive which was like a kickstarter type of thing Mm -hmm. so we did that and we released two things we released a kids album called baby dj and we did a a grown-ups album called magic hour and you know i was running the whole thing and at the end of it i was so tired because if you're doing a crowdsource you are also making stuff to send everyone so there you are trying to make your record and then you also have to send out tons and tons of stuff so people would pledge for like cds or people would pledge for paintings or people would pledge for a song you know and by the end of it i was like this is like this is not a feasible 
think. Because by the time you're done, you've spent all this time and money on postage and you spent hours and hours doing mail outs. So yeah, it's not, it was like a, a solution there for a minute to do these crowdsource things for the fact that the music industry doesn't pay very well. Um, so anyway, I think it's well, a really, it's, it's just, there's no physical stuff. I mean, it's just become niche now. Well, there's just streaming. And if you look at the streaming royalties, they're awful. For artists, they're awful. It doesn't exist. So you have to find other modes of, unless you're touring and you can actually make money, which most people don't, right? So we're at a crossroads with this industry where we're like, how do we get this thing to function for artists? Um, unless you're a part of the giant you know, conglomerates when they're giving, they have ways of making it work for themselves. Um, so, but for like the indie artists, you got, you got a real problem. So um, I'm hoping that we see, you know, we've got Bandcamp, which you sell merch through it. And, yep. you know, that's interesting. A lot of people just choose to use, I think they have a better royalty and maybe there's some other things that make it better. Um, but yeah, we, we have a problem with it and not that music has ever been particularly lucrative for small artists. Um, but I'm hoping to see some shifting in the streaming royalty. Um, some artist groups are coming together about it. And we'll see, you know, or some new ways to do this. Everyone keeps coming up with stuff, but I haven't seen anything yet. That's like, yes, spend all your time and money on this music. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. Like spend your hours of your time and pay a lot of money to do it. Cause you have to also pay for mixing and mastering, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And, and you don't, and you don't want to sound like the, the old fuddy duddies, but it, it, it was so much better in the older days. Like it's I mean, not... yes. And yes, for some people, you know, I think our situation was good. Um, it was, it worked in terms, in some ways, there was tons of problems with it then. Um, and it's the activism around musicians is something I'm starting to like, have, you know, I have kids, so I haven't had time to think about it, but it's, it's starting to come up on my radar. How do we address this? for young artists um and it's going to take it's it's lawyers um understanding these contracts and per making them better even the contracts were bad back then you know you could get some money to live on but then you find out you'll never make any money again essentially like you could get a you could get like an advance but you've gotten such a small royalty and they're recouping everything against that tiny percentage you know what I mean? So you've heard these stories. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it was better. We, we, we had a good run, um, but the contracts were brutal always. And a lot of very, it, it's hard, you know, it's, it's always been difficult. Musicians aren't mathematicians. They're not accountants and lawyers and accountants do what they do. So, and big business wanted to make sure they were covered. So uh, I don't know the answer you know, but I, I know people are struggling, songwriters are struggling. And I feel like there has to be some type of change, some type of change. So people can actually do this on a in a way that is healthy for them. You know, that's a great point. Um, let's let's uh, lighten the subject a little bit. Um, it's been well documented how you guys came up with the band name. But if you could tell our audience a little bit about the thought process in deciding to make Luscious Jackson your band name. And I'm not going to lie. When I first heard the name, I thought you were like Jermaine and Tito and Marlon. And I really didn't know that that 
it was actually a band until I actually heard your music. What about the thought process to come up with the name? Uh, it was a fairly simple thought process. You know, um, we were trying to find a name, always a challenge. And my brother is a sports fan and he had a book of um, sports <laughs> basketball stats, like this huge thing. Right. It's like, I'm guy. sure you've seen, he was that yep. guy. He's still kind of that guy. Like Seth. Yeah. Oh, ah, so yeah. Seth is that guy. There's Seth a is method. That guy, yeah. This is a leading question, so just continue. <laughs> so I, I don't really, like, I'm not into the basketball stuff as much, but he was Nick's fan to this day. Um, so basically, you know, started with baseball, then got into basketball. So there it was sitting there, and I was just, like, glancing at it, and there comes um, Lucius Jackson, Philadelphia 76ers, and then his nickname was Luscious Jackson. And that's the simp that is the basic story. So, you know, I get the name and I say, this is kind of an interesting name. Um, and of course, Gabby was my, was just one, two of us at the time. What do you think of this name? <laughs> Love it. You know, it's hard to find a name. So, so that one grabs eyeballs and, and it's got a backstory and it's kind of cool. So that's it. It was so, fun. You know, it had a fun, a fun quality. So Lucius Jackson had a son who went to college and played basketball in college when I was in college. I covered ah. Lucius Jackson Jr. Ah, yes, I know he had a son. Yes, that's cool. <laughs> so, so, so the idea is, is that you're going to come back in season two of the podcast and we're going to get Lucius to do the interview. Oh, well, it might go okay. We'll see. He doesn't know anything about the band. You know? Wait, yeah. Kate, Kate, um, met Lucius senior right and this was a really interesting i wish i still had the article but somebody connected our band to Lucius senior and it was really interesting <laughs> it was like well isn't that cool you know it was it was he found it funny i don't think it meant that much to him but it was uh it was nice that they were able to connect didn't pearl jam do the same thing like their name before pearl jam was mookie blaylock Old NBA right. player, right? Right. This is true. Where yeah. can people find your excuse me, uh, find your art now? Uh, my website is jillkinifstudio.com. And my Instagram is jillkinifstudio. And those are the best places. Um, so, yeah, that's the location. And, you Do know, you find as I. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I'm making music. So, you know, that's also I'm going to put it on there. And the music is more just like I'm doing it for fun. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I'll finish it and put it, it out. It was always for art. fun, right? Yeah, but then it became a business, you know. So in other words, I'm not doing this to like have a big release and tour or whatever. <laughs> I'm doing more, it and it'll accompany the yourself. art. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's for people who are fans and keep asking, where's the record? Where's, why aren't you making music? And, you know, and it, it does come down to time and uh, I haven't had the time. So, and also inspiration, you know, I, I want it to be good. I don't want it to be, you know, average. So I have pretty high standards for stuff and we'll see if it, if I feel that it's passing the muster, I will put out songs, you know, I'm just going to put song one song at a time and um, maybe eventually it'll be an album. That's, well, that's my how concept. The, that's how the music industry <laughs> changed. You, you couldn't do that in the 80s, 90s. Now you can though, which is amazing. So Yeah, and I, I use I use like stuff to get it online myself. I don't need a distributor. There's yeah. direct artists, you know, that stuff has been going for a while, so now you can just di directly release. 
Um, and I'm probably not going to do a lot of promotion for it or anything. It'll, it'll just go out with the arts. And my, I would recommend joining my mailing list on my website. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I think I'm going to start sending it out to the mailing list recipients when it's done and, and uh, it, you know, it'll be online as well. So just small, very cool, small kind of niche thing. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, and also you're big on Instagram too. You have a lot of your, uh, your artwork up there. Anybody can go check out Jill on Instagram, but Jill, thank yep. you so much for joining us. We can't, we really can't thank you enough. We're very excited that you uh, agreed to be on our show. And we look forward to, you know, checking out your website and seeing what's next. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Jill Kniff of Luscious Jackson. That was fun. And my goodness, we're all from the New York area. She's more New York than all three of us put together. For sure. I mean, not just New York being from the New York area. She She's was just cooler living. than us. And obviously, uh, you know, from a young age, she was doing things in, the, in New York City that we weren't doing living in the suburbs <laughs> really had some great stories. And, you know, I think from a, you know, I think there's a, there's a trend in a lot of these stories about the record industry and the industrial machine that's out there really just chewing people up and spitting them out. Uh, that's why I wanted this podcast to be about getting exposure. She's obviously working on her art now, still does a little bit of music, but like a great little focus on, you know, how people's lives have changed after the music industry. What I love mostly about this band, actually about this podcast is this podcast is, is helping me grow my music taste, you know, become more of a proactive listener, learn a little bit more about different bands. Luscious Jackson was not a band I knew that much about. Um, now I feel like an expert, you know, and they, they really helped define this sound of the nineties. And they were this leading light in the rise of the female artists during that decade. And, what I like most about Luscious Jackson is they're not too mainstream. They're considered a rock band, but you know they've got this rock sound, this pop sound, this, this electronica, hip-hop influences. And if you are a fan of the band, you got to check out Jill's artwork. I mean, again, it screams New York City, without a doubt. I mean, it's an interesting time in 80s New York. I think the, the term was uh, pre-Giuliani New York. And if we think about what the reputation of New York City was. Um, it was scummy. You know, yeah, it, it was scummy. It was, you know, strip clubs in Times Square. And I will give uh, Rudolph Giuliani some credit uh, for as mayor of New York, maybe not the rest of his career, but um, he did really clean up the look of New York City and made it to what it is Modernized today in a lot it, of yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's something about her artwork that almost wants to harken back to that pre-Giuliani era um, but i mean just a just a great conversation and i just thought it was funny because you know being a syracuse alum and being affiliated with their alumni program and teaching there i know a lot of their basketball players we should totally have jill kniff interviewed by lucius jackson that would be fantastic <laughs> that would be great all right, that'll do it for this edition of The Hallowed Ground. Don't forget, uh, subscribe, but also rate and review. And if you're going to rate us, do us a favor. Five stars, please. I mean, five stars. Anything less than five stars is just in inconceivable. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Hallowed Ground. <laughs>